Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hi, my name's Ocean. Welcome to the Adaptify podcast, and our guest today is Andrew Skinner from the Triumph Foundation. Hey, it's Mike here, and as you heard, Ocean joined us for an intro today. Uh, These times are pretty crazy, and we're exercising self-isolation like everyone else. And uh, look, we really hope that you're doing well out there. If you ever need uh, a friendly ear, you know, feel free to drop me an email, mike at adaptify.com, and I should be able to link you up with some people to chat with if you need help. Okay, today's guest, as Ocean mentioned, is Andrew Skinner from the Triumph Foundation. Andrew is an absolute legend. He's a guy with so much heart and so much wisdom to give. Uh, He's created an army, essentially, of peer support uh, ambassadors that are out there to support people that uh, that need help in the world. Uh, Can't wait to chat some more and learn from Andrew uh, and all he's been through in his life as a wheelchair user. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. It's an absolute honor to have you here. I'm excited to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. So it was it was great to see you at the Abilities Expo in LA recently. And you know what I noticed was you just had so much love coming your way from from everybody that um, that came into your sphere. You were you were super busy. Um, you know you were in demand, and you equally you, I could see that you gave every person undivided attention. Um, you know, and I just want to say. Um, I'm really, really privileged to have you on the show, and thanks for giving me some of your time here today. No, I'm, it's been a long time coming, Mike, and I'm happy to be here. And uh, yeah, these uh, abilities expos and and just uh, community gatherings—it's always fun to just to con- connect with people, and uh, especially that one is kind of a reunion of sorts. So there's so many friends and, and people that we've met over the years to uh, reconnect with, and just like you said, love and be loved. So good, mate. So uh, I guess we'd like to start off by letting our listeners know a little bit about, uh, you know, who you are and, and your background. What was your what was your childhood like? What what was growing up as Andrew Skinner like? So I grew up in sunny Southern California in the suburbs of Los Angeles, and uh, my dad was a builder, and my mom um, basically was a stay at home mom. She also worked as the secretary for the church, and later uh, worked for the city. Of Santa Clarita, which is where we live. And uh, I was a sport kid. And so uh, I loved any game that had anything to do with a ball or a, or uh, wheels or anything like that. And so I always was out playing hard and having fun, uh, went to school and played several different sports um, in uh, high school and things like that. I, was, I wasn't good enough to uh, go anywhere beyond uh, just high school play, uh, but I thoroughly loved um, just being outdoors and, and like I said, having fun and uh, just that kind of aspect of living in California from snow skiing to surfing to you name it, everywhere, everything in between. Sounds a bit like me, mate, just enjoying the outdoors, enjoying this physical body that uh, that we were born with and, um, you know, making the most of that. Um, and you learn a lot through that, don't you? You learn a lot about um, – you know, what you can put your body through, um, both in terms of, uh, you know, your psychological aspect, but also, you know, physically. And um, it's such a, it's a feeling of freedom, isn't it, to be able to just move uh, naturally the way you want to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, pushing the limits of your ability and seeing what you're truly capable of and uh, just, just enjoying each moment and uh, kind of becoming one with nature. Yeah. And- enjoying the uh, freedom that we have in the bodies that we, you know, are blessed with. And um, I'm still doing that to this day. That's absolutely right. Totally. Um, But in an adapted fashion or a slightly different fashion. So tell us a little bit about how you uh, became a wheelchair user. Yeah. So I went away to college um, after I got done with high school and uh, went to several different universities, uh, but I ended up out in uh, Ventura, California, which is near the beach. 
and was going to school out there at uh, Cal State Channel Islands. And I was a business major. I went to school uh, to get a degree in, in business. And while I was in classes, um, I had uh, the privilege of sitting next to a pretty girl and uh, somehow struck up enough charm and enough courage <laughs> to start some conversations. And uh, to make a very long story short, I tricked her good and she became my my steady girlfriend and the love of my life. <laughs> and I was um, six months after I graduated from college, I had landed a great job. I had, uh, like I said, met the girl of my dreams, Kirsten, and I was on top of the world. And Mike, I didn't think there was anything that could stop me. I thought I was invincible and I was um, just enjoying life. I was in my prime. And so uh, it was around Thanksgiving time out here in uh, the United States. We celebrate Thanksgiving near the end of November. And I was up in the Big Bear Mountains, which is uh, about two hours outside of L.A. And it uh, snowed like crazy. It was a winter wonderland. We were up in the mountains in a cabin. And my um, cousin and I uh, were out um, playing in the snow. And uh, we were building snowmen and um, sledding. And, and Kirsten was there. We were having snowball fights and just really enjoying the um, holiday with my family and my cousin and I had built a jump um, in the snow that we were goofing off of. And so the day after Thanksgiving, November 26th of 2004, I was playing on my snowboard out front of that cabin. And I went off a little jump that we had built and I fell. Uh, I didn't land on my head. I, I wasn't um, hot dogging it or uh, doing anything too crazy. But when I fell on my butt and my back, in doing so, I broke my fourth, fifth, and sixth cervical vertebrae in my neck, and I suffered a spinal cord injury uh, that left me paralyzed um, from the neck down in the beginning. So obviously a game changer for me. So the impact of that uh, fall, I mean, you land on your butt, and you often think you're going to break your lower back, but the... The force went right up through your spine and, and broke your cervical um, vertebrae. You know, it just goes to show you, you never know. Uh, as much as um, I do, you know, preach um, safety and um, being, you know, careful in what you do, uh, for all the dumb things I've done in my life and bad spills and falls and uh, this uh, from the uh, eye view of the viewer didn't look like anything. It, no one, no one thought I had gotten hurt when I fell. Um, certainly not uh, the magnitude of a spinal cord injury, uh, but I broke my neck. And like I said, I um, was unable to move just about anything except for uh, my eyelids and my mouth in the initial fall. And uh, I was fortunate that I was with my family and, and I yelled at, um, Kirsten and Doug and said I was hurt and they needed to get help. Uh, they were uh, quick to run and, and dial 911 for emergency services that came and dug me out of that snow and carried me up the mountain and helicoptered me to the nearest hospital. So what was going through your mind at that time? Well, certainly in the beginning, um, I didn't think that there was uh, anything that was as permanent as uh, the, the spinal cord injury and paralysis was. I mean, I had, I had heard of a spinal cord injury before. I knew of uh, Christopher Reeves of Superman. Uh, I knew his story, um, but it didn't really register in, in my brain. And when I first got hurt, you know, I was very much expecting that any moment uh, my body would just wake up and I'd start moving again. Uh, I always kind of relate it to the, you know, you get the wind knocked out of you, Mike, and um, you can't breathe for that second. Mm -hmm. Lots of the listeners can relate to that where suddenly lost your breath and then you catch it again and you go, wow, that was really crazy. Well, uh, my experience is very much the same where I thought, okay, any second now my body and arms and legs will just wake up and I'll stand up and shake it off and, and uh, go about my business. Those, uh, moments and minutes and hours and days and, and now years, this uh, 
I'm still recovering from this injury. And, and I like to stress that I'm a recovering quadriplegic and I'm still pushing myself to get better every day, uh, both physically and mentally. And I can talk all day long on, on my journey to recovery. Well, we'll get into that for sure. What I wanted to know is what was your preconceived idea of uh, someone with a spinal cord injury and particularly a, a neck injury like yours? Well, uh, you know, it's kind of sad to say that I, I did not really know anyone with a disability. I did not really have any experience of someone with a spinal cord injury and didn't have much knowledge of um, what that really meant. And so I was literally submerged into a world that I never dreamed I would ever become a part of and had very little knowledge of. But, uh, you know, I can say that after being injured, I was connected with several people that I had crossed paths with and had no idea um, that they, you know, were either in such close proximity with me. There was a, a, a friend of mine named Pace, and I call him a friend now, uh, but I had met him after my uh, injury and after talking to him and developing a friendship through one of our support groups, uh, come to find out that he and I graduated in the same class in high school, <laughs> and I had no idea. I, mean, I vaguely remember him now. Uh, but certainly wasn't connected with them then. And, and I regret that. I regret that now. Um, I encourage all of my friends out there that are um, able bodies. And obviously if they're listening to this show, perhaps they have a special place in their heart already, uh, but to get connected with folks that uh, go through life-changing challenges, certainly um, injuries and um, disabilities and, and all sorts of things uh, oftentimes will make you a better human being. And, uh, you know, you'll really be around some awesome people uh, can teach you what, how, how meaningful life is. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you said that you didn't really notice these people that were actually in close proximity to you. And um, it's, it's much like you buy a new car or something. All of a sudden you see those cars everywhere. Um, when you're uh, all of a sudden part of uh, this wheelchair user community, you know, you notice, you notice other wheelchair users all around the place. Um, and so it's just a matter of um, perception, I suppose, and, and opening your mind up to, you know, I guess, being open to uh, the awareness that there are, are other people out there that um, that don't necessarily fit in your sphere. But uh, like you say, you can learn so much from. Yeah, I think it's funny because I remember distinctly now that you just said that my mother and father and family would, you know, come and visit me in the hospital and they would remark about how many wheelchair users they've seen, you know, uh, <laughs> just moving through the supermarkets or um, sitting at a bus stop or just, you know, going about their business. And uh, yeah, we're kind of um, uh, everywhere, but often overlooked. And we're kind of uh, the, well, not kind of, uh, a fun fact that I often say is we are the fastest growing minority that anyone can become a part of at any time, our disability community or I like to call us the, you know, the family, disability family. Yeah, absolutely. So, Andrew, uh, you know, when did you come to the realization that you, you know, you weren't just going to walk out of there? I think uh, after I woke up from the surgery is really when the magnitude of it all kind of started to settle in. Uh, I was... Um, Fortunate that my doctor never came in and said, you're never going to walk. You're never going to uh, you know, do all sorts of different things. He said, you'll know about how much you're going to recover in about two or three years. And I still think that's great advice for the doctors to you know, tell patients after a spinal cord injury. Uh, but I also realized that this was something that was going to be the battle of my life. And so uh, those initial, you know, uh, moments and just came with the flood of emotions from uh, just extreme sadness. Uh, there's no getting around it. This sucks. And there was, you know, so much loss and just fear of what would I possibly be capable of doing or contributing and um, anger. Why would this ever happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? Mm. Um, 
I don't feel like that's the way God works, but on the same note, it's hard to not feel that way. Mm. And, uh, and just, uh, every, you know, emotion that you go through when you're suffering and it was a horrible low time for me where, uh, I was desperate for answers and I was, um, just stricken with feeling, you know, depressed and low and, um, I was really, really fortunate that I had a good family that was there, um, to allow me to cry on the shoulders, uh, to be my punching bag a little bit, uh, deal with my frustrations. And I also had, uh, Kirsten who, um, stayed by my side. Um, I remember looking at her, you know, in the week after my injury and, and telling her she needed to move on. You know, I had wrecked my life I was a quadriplegic and there was what kind of man could I ever possibly be for her? And, uh, she looked at me and she said, you know, I didn't fall in love with you because you could walk. She said, I didn't go, that guy walks really good. I want to go with him. <laughs> she said, uh, you know, I fell in love with you for what's inside. And, um, she said, don't ever say that to me again. And, and from that day on, Mike, I was just, uh, determined to be the best me that I could possibly be. And uh, once I got stabilized, I was in the hospital in the ICU for about three weeks to a month. Um, and then I got transferred over to rehab. And once I hit rehab, uh, it was game on. And we talked a little bit about being an athlete before. And I really think that mindset is what really helped me as far as uh, just putting every ounce of energy I had into getting my body moving and getting as much return of function and uh, as independent as I possible. Andrew, you're so lucky to have uh, Kirsten and your family and friends around you. What, what about the people that don't have that support? What, uh, what advice would you give to somebody listening that maybe doesn't have uh, a supportive partner or you know, maybe even their partner's you know, decided, well, actually, this isn't for me. I, I can't, I can't uh, cope with this. And that happens quite a lot. What, uh, what advice would you have for a person in that situation? So there's uh, several things to unpack right there. I think, uh, yes, number one, um, I lost a lot of relationships. Uh, there were friends that I held dearly and I thought they would be there for me through everything. And uh, they couldn't handle it. It's hard to be around people when they're suffering. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, especially with the relationship, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whatever, they didn't sign up for this. Uh, most people, you know, like I said, are suddenly put into a world and a situation that is the worst nightmare. Um, and uh, I think the person who is going through it uh, needs to understand that the way you handle it is really going to affect uh, the way others um, are able to also deal with it. Because the fact of the matter is most of us, if we had that eject button, if we had that opportunity, we would take it too. We would be like, I'm, I'm done. I, I can't mm -hmm. deal with this paralysis. I'm out of here. And the fact is that the, um, the spouses, the, the loved ones, the uh, friends, uh, they have that ability to say, I'm done with this. I, this is too much for me to handle. I'm going to go. However, um, many of them are willing and, um, you know, embrace the challenge. Um, if you handle it in a way, uh, that's positive, Mike. I mean, it's, it's real easy to take this mm. and to, uh, you know, express all those emotions outwardly and take it out on people. And if you're a mean, angry son of a bitch, guess what? People aren't going to want to be around you. Um, mm. But if somehow you uh, are able to hold your chin up high and, um, you know, wear a smile somehow, even if you're just faking it and carry on the best you possibly can and, and please and thank yous go a very, very long way and just, uh, you know, have that courage and uh, the, you know, wherewithal to deal with what you got to deal with. People are going to be attracted to that because I know that our situation, Mike, is very physical. It's very visible. People see 
that we went through some real SHIT where they can see like, man, they have obviously gone through some challenges, uh, mm-hmm. but we are not alone. Um, everybody in life goes through life-changing challenges, trials that seem insurmountable that uh, you don't know how you're going to deal with, uh, take, you know, serious amount of coping and just redirection of your life. Um, ours just happens to be like, everybody can see it. Writing's on the wall. There's no hiding it. Um, mm. And I think every single person in the world um, is not, is going to go through something that's going to be a massive detour that they never saw coming. And uh, it's not what happens to you, but what you do about it. And, uh, and I feel like, you know, what uh, if you're we go bringing it back full circle, if, if the people around you are, um, you know, leaving or not there in the, you know, when you first get injured, that they probably weren't going to be around there in the first place. And for those that didn't have anybody at the time of your injury, um, that there is love has all ability. I've seen so many love stories uh, that have grown after injury, you know, after someone has a disability. And so don't give up hope if that's something you want in your life. And ultimately, I think that's what uh, this injury really teaches you is to refocus and to think about what's important to you. What do you want um, mm-hmm. to live more of your life with a purpose? And uh, you get to reinvent yourself. And so in some ways, it's a blessing. I think it's really, you've made a couple of really interesting points there. Uh, the first one was, you know, what you project, uh, essentially, you're going you're gonna to get back in reflection. So um, I remember very clearly, and I'm not sure if someone told me this or if it was a thought that I had on my own, I thought, you know, and, and I, was, I was newly married. I'd been with Kirsten, my wife, his name's Kirsten as well. I, I'd, been <laughs> with, I'd been with Kirsten for quite a number of years and we'd been through some tough challenges in a relationship without this. And I remember being really fearful that our relationship wasn't going to last the distance. But I remember thinking to myself, I, I, have, to, I have to put on the brave face here. I have, to, I have to show that I'm going to be positive about this and, and that this isn't going to be the end of my character and, and what attracted her to me in the first place. And so I, I did everything I could to, to really show positivity. And in the same token, I had to also realize that she was struggling too and, and she was going to need a heap of support. And, um, you know, quite often the focus is on the person that's in, injured and yet, um, you know, and, and we're the sort of focus of attention, but um, you have to also realize that the people around you that are closest to you that are also grieving, that are also going through all the, all the emotions that you pretty much are, um, they, need, they need support too. So it was a real, real kind of insight um, for me and, and I encourage those of you listening with um, friends, family, spouse, parents that are you know, coming to terms with uh, your situation to, um, to show them that you're, you're positive about it and that you, um, you know, that you also are there to support them as much as they're there to support you. My joke is they're the silently disabled. I mean, they uh, oftentimes are uh, dealing with all of the um, effects and are, um, you know, struggling just as much as the person that has the injury, but they're not getting the empathy. They're not getting the nurturing and uh, they, they deserve it. They're often bearing much of the load, doing all the heavy lifting and uh, they deserve just as much compassion and care. And so one of the best pieces of advice that I got uh, when I was first injured and uh, you know, they recognized that Kirsten and I were going to um, stick together, at least, at least make a go for it because a lot of relationships, you know, dissolve very quickly. Uh, but Kirsten was obviously uh, staying by my side and, and uh, they said, you know, you got to treat this injury and some of the difficulties almost as a separate entity that exists outside of your personal relationship and allowing each other to get frustrated, to, you know, have trouble with the lack of accessibility, um, to have trouble with the equipment not working properly, to have trouble with just, you know, the personal care and to lash out at that, but not take it personally um, and allowing each of you to do that. So you can, get, ah, this stupid, you know, uh, bag is not working correctly, or I can't figure out how to grab this, or I, you know, um, can't get into a certain place. 
and and to kind of have the, the 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 temperature go up a little bit, but then be able to shut that off and sit down at the dinner table and say, oh, "So how was your day? And did you do this or that?" And not not let it affect that personal bond. And that's that's a a lot easier said than done, uh, but it certainly helped in a lot of ways. Where there was the injury was secondary to us it was outside separate entity so i've never heard it described that way before and i, I actually think that's brilliant i think that it, you can you can totally you could separate that out from your person it's not your identity right it shouldn't be your sole identity you know you, so having that as a separate entity like you say to be able to both kind of almost um share your thoughts about that entity um without it getting personal uh, is it it's a wonderful tool. Yeah, if you can carp, uh, compartmentalize it, um, you know, like I said, it's easier said than done sometimes, but it really is effective. And then the other piece of advice was, uh, I know this isn't always possible, but to not have uh, your loved one be your caregiver necessarily, at least as little as possible. And that was something that I had to learn was uh, she was not necessarily my nurse um and especially with the personal aspects of bowel and bladder and things like that uh, she knew how to help me she still does help me um she's capable of doing all those things but on the same note i wasn't constantly relying on her for everything and um that was another great piece of advice that i got from other couples that that figured it out yeah totally so one of the things that gave me hope early on was seeing another person doing something as a wheelchair user that um, that I wanted to do. So this was actually Josh Jewick. He's a you know famous uh, skier, and I instantly said, "Oh, I, wow! Here's this guy who's a paraplegic like me, and he's doing his skiing. He's out in the outdoors doing things, and um, you know, gave me gave me immense hope." What was uh, what was that for you what what gave you hope that you might enjoy life uh life as a quadriplegic so now we're going to bring it all the way back to where our conversation started and that was with uh sports because that was obviously something that i thoroughly enjoyed and and thinking me um, i'm a c6 quadriplegic i'm very incomplete so uh, i you know just for the audience's you know knowledge um, you know, my hands don't work very good. They're kind of in a fist, uh, and I don't have triceps in my hand, in my arms, uh, but I am able to move my arms and, uh, figure out how to use my hands. And, and then I've got some, uh, movement in my lower extremities, not enough to walk or do anything like that, but I made a very, very great recovery, all things considered for the initial textbook, uh, what a C4 quadriplegic might look like. Mm. Uh, but I had, um, um, uh, one of the first guys that rolled into my hospital room in rehab was a guy named Anthony Riffichet. And Anthony happened to go to the same high school that I went to. Um, uh, he was a few years older than me. And so here he comes rolling into my room. He's a paraplegic. Uh, and my brother was in there. And they instantly, hey, Matt, hey, Anthony. And they start talking and and uh you know i'm sitting over in the bed i'm supposed to be the one getting the peer mentor and, and here is anthony um <laughs> chumming it up with my brother uh but that you know again somebody else that was within my sphere uh that i had never connected with but he lived down the street from where i grew up and um had all these things in common uh but anthony you know was a paraplegic and he was involved with all sorts of outdoor recreational activities and ran a company called Extreme Medical that um, provided lots of opportunities for people to get out and play. And so he um, uh, and another guy, uh, who's, these two are still my best friends and, and peer mentors and, and sit on the board of our, our nonprofit, uh, Bobby Rohan. Bobby was a C6 quadriplegic. And, and just between those two fellas, uh, seeing what they were capable of doing uh, both just in activities of daily living, um, but also the sports and recreational aspect of watching them ride a cycle, water ski, um, you know, uh, just play all sorts of, you know, games and, and just getting out there in the community and, and being alive really was an inspiration for me uh, that if they could do it, I could do it too. 
Isn't it amazing the uh, community that is out there and the, the things that you just totally weren't aware of that people could do as uh, someone with a spinal cord injury? You know, one of my preconceived ideas was, you know, your life is pretty much over. I, I remember at uh, primary school, a teacher of mine, her husband had a rugby playing accident and broke his neck. And I remember just thinking, man, if that was me, uh, you, you might as well just roll me off the end of a wharf and, and you know, I, I just couldn't go on. And yet what I discovered pretty early on when I started to find some of these adaptifiers that I like to call them out in the world was, man, you know, they're doing some awesome stuff, you know, they're, they are, they're, they're having families, they're having great relationships, they're, um, they're finding love, they're, you know, doing all sorts of physical activities, they're succeeding in business and life and, and it was truly amazing, and I think one point you made just before was around you know whatever you whatever you want your life to be, you know, and you might have to think laterally about that. You might have to just think slightly outside your you know the square that you're living in. Um, but whatever you, you want to want your life to be, you you can you can have that, right? Yeah, I I, I totally agree. You might have to do things differently, uh, but uh, you can still do almost everything that you wanted to do. And you just have to adapt and, um, you know, set achievable goals. I mean, I know uh, we, we do a lot of uh, peer mentoring, and I know we'll get to this in a second, Mike, but one of the best pieces of advice that one of our top leadership ambassadors uh, gives is, is setting goals that, are, um, that you're going to be able to accomplish uh, as much as everybody wants to say, I'm going to walk again. Where uh, I'm going to run the LA, I'm going to run the marathon uh, to set a simple goal of, you know what, I'm going to get up every day and I am going to, you know, uh, go around the block. And, and whether that's pushing my chair or, or walking, um, and, you know, every day I'm going to uh, do my best to feed myself uh, for folks that are just learning how to use their hands or arms and, you know, uh, setting, you know, uh, realistic things. Uh, that you can feel good about yourself when you accomplish them. If you set too far out uh, goals that are too far outside of really your scope of, uh, you know, achieving, um, sometimes that's that just leads to more feeling of defeat. And so, just another words, words, little tidbits of wisdom. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree with you. Um, you you do need to set uh, goals that you can achieve, and and. Like it could start with just a small thing, like you say, like learning to brush your teeth again. Um, you know, for me, it was uh, learning to get dressed and, um, you know, learning to transfer from the floor to my wheelchair was a big thing. I, when I first attempted that, I thought there's no way I was ever going to be able to do that. Um, but, you know, persistence and, and you know, and that, that was a big thing. It was like, wow, <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, that, that was actually like a huge goal and it was um, something that I was proud I could achieve. And, and I use it to this day, right? Well, for a lot of guys, Mike, it's you got to get out of bed every day. You have to get out of bed. Do not allow yourself to just lay there and work out your thumb muscle flipping the TV channels. You have to get up. You have to get in your chair or whatever you need and get outside. You know, um, my big fear is after a spinal cord injury or people living with disabilities, uh, they, you know, self-quarantine themselves permanently in life. Uh, they, they isolate themselves, they live in sedentary and they don't get out. And that's my biggest fear. And it always breaks my heart when I hear people that miss out on so many uh, opportunities in life um, because not because of the physical uh, paralysis, but the paralysis of analysis of always thinking about what if and not seeing what's possible. So why do you think why do you think a, a person would lock themselves away? What what is it um, that they're not able to um, get past and to enable them to get through? And, and what would you say to that person right now? So I think a lot of it is just uh, self consciousness of not liking what they see in the mirror. Um, they're still haven't come to terms with the fact that they're you know um, that they have impairment that they're not what they once were. Uh, and that, you know, is really a mindset thing. And, and for me, I remember feeling that way. And, uh, my friend, Bobby, we talked about a moment ago, um, you know, 
you'd say, Hey, I, I'd go outside and everybody's looking at me. People are treating me differently. You know, I, I don't feel good about myself. And, you know, one thing that really helped me was, uh, physical therapy, exercise, exercise is medicine, but doing something that I felt like I was improving myself, getting stronger, really working on you know, strengthening as I possibly could carry myself with my head a little bit higher. But also, uh, Bobby said, you know, I used to feel that way that, you know, everybody was looking at me and treating me differently. And, and one day I just decided I was going to embrace it that, you know what, I'm a rock star, I'm a celebrity and gosh, darn it. People are going to treat me differently because I'm a rock star. And so when I go places, I'm going to get front row parking because I'm a rock star. And when I roll up to the doors, yeah, they better open those doors up because here I am. I'm a celebrity. And when I come through the crowd, everybody's going to get out of my way because here I come. I'm a rock star. And when I sit down, that you know, the waitress or teller or whoever might be serving you, they're going to remember my name because here I am. I'm a rock star. And to me, that was just like game changer. You know, talk about, uh, you know, the power of the mind. And when I started feeling that way and thinking that way and holding my chin up high and looking people in their eyes, uh, that is really what was the switch that just turned me from feeling like a cripple to just feeling like, man, I'm a rock star and I'm doing what I got to do. And um, here I come. So. Wow. That's so cool. I was smiling from ear to ear when you said that. I think I think it's a brilliant way of framing something like this. And I, I think it's also uh, something I've heard a couple of my other adaptifiers talk about as um, self-affirmations, um, you know, telling themselves something positive every day over and over and over again and, um, you know, having having a, a way to, um, you know, pump them up and, um, and go, yeah, I'm ready for this. I'm, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do this. I'm, you know, I can hold my head up high. So yeah, that, that's another one to add to the list of uh, self affirmations. I'm a rock star. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get front row parking. I'm gonna, you know, I mean, that that really is a it, it's a it's a benefit, right? I, I I really enjoy being able to park, you know, up front. It's uh, it's it's a great thing. So why not embrace there's, it? There's a lot of silver linings in these dark clouds, and uh, you know, it's it's not all rainbows and you know butterflies and, and this and that but if you um, step back for a moment you will realize that some of these hardships bring about some of the greatest blessings and we talked about relationships and and if there were ever any gaps in my relationship with my mom and dad or or my you know kirsten or just some of my friends i mean we were brought together we, our bonds were strengthened from this and the same thing with you know um the little perks from front row parking to just uh, going places and me, you know, making an impact on somebody uh, that I didn't know, but just them seeing that I was out living life, gave them hope, um, whether it's for their loved one at home that they didn't realize could get out and go to a concert or go to, a, you know, um, some sort of public gathering or something along those lines. Uh, uh, just the, now they know that their loved one, they should be out there too. Look, that guy's here. Why isn't my friend or, or what have you? Um, to, you know, all sorts of um, just, you know, talking to somebody. And I, I always tell folks that we have been given kind of a, a megaphone, a soapbox, an ability to speak truth into people's lives um, that we may not have been able to do had we not gone through an injury like this. And so, so. <laughs> and we, we can actually, we can teach a lot of people about what, it, what it's like to, um, to move through a, through a tough challenge like this. And because we're so visible, people quite often will ask you about it. And so you could, you could turn, you know, for somebody that's struggling with their own self-confidence, you actually turn that around and think, well, actually, what have I got to teach someone else that's less fortunate than me or, or somebody that's able-bodied that's struggling? You know, what, what can I, what knowledge can I share to improve someone else's lives? And then you, and then maybe you forget about your own worries and you, you all of a sudden you're trying to prove somebody else's. Uh, it's maybe another way to, um, you know, get out and, and be motivated to, um, to get out. Um, one, one of my experiences early on was with the first experience of so going out um, 
you know, catching a taxi for the first time or going and having your first overnight trip at a friend's place or traveling for the first time. It was always, it was really intense, you know, really, really intense. And it brought back the grief of what it was like before. But as soon as you um, did that for the first time, the next time was so much easier. And so, you know, I've encouraged several people to find a safe, a safe way of having one of those experiences um, and just just lean into them, get it done with as you know as soon as you are able, because that will help you, um, you know, progress and, and adapt to the situation. Um, and then the next time it'll be so much easier. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just go for it. Um, and you know, one of the things that helped me to uh, was traveling in packs, and so uh, me not being the only person in a wheelchair uh, rolling out with uh, friends that also you know, used a wheelchair. Um, and that helped me build my self-confidence as well. And so that's part of the reason that, you know, we really tried to build up the community together and um, kind of form this uh, movement, if you will, um, of just other folks that have also had a spinal cord injury or um, just gone through, you know, like I said, life, a life-changing challenge that um, um, just keep us all connected. So let's talk about that. What what drove you to start the Triumph Foundation? So I was so touched by what Anthony and Bobby did in my life and always being there to answer my calls. And we had a local support group that they were loyal attendees. And it meant so much to me when they were in the room. And it really... You know, sometimes hard when they were not come to the group and, and there wasn't that positive person there. There wasn't that, you know, somebody that I really looked up to. And so about four or five years after I had gotten hurt and kind of found myself again, and it took me time. Um, number one, I needed to work on my personal recovery, uh, but I also uh, went back to work as soon as I could to save up enough money to put a ring on, on my Kirsten's finger, uh, not yours, <laughs> Mike, uh, <laughs> but, uh, to, uh, you know, get married, um, to begin working. Um, I started driving again and I got to a good place in my life where I really felt like I had far surpassed what the initial expectations were, um, for someone with an injury like me. And, and I've, I always felt like called to serve and help other people in similar situations. And so in 2008, um, I uh, would go out and get involved with different community programs and activities. And I just saw that there was a lot of unmet health needs. I'd come home to the dinner table and I'd tell Pearson, they should do this. And why isn't there that? And, you know, how come there's not these programs? And one day with the encouragement of her and my brother, Matt, uh, and some other family members, Andrew, why don't you do something about it? And so I started uh, Triumph Foundation. And initially, you know, it was just going to be something that I did at my local rehab when I had time um, to just try to help out other people that, you know, found themselves in the same uh, place I was. And uh, to make a very, very long story short, um, I kind of created a monster and Triumph Foundation has kind of grown into this massive movement within the Southern California community and is expanding rapidly uh, just to try to make quality of life a reality for people that suffer a spinal cord injury or a paralyzing disorder or have a disability or just anyone in the community. And we have a number of programs uh, that are just there to help people. But it always started with the heart of Triumph Foundation is that initial peer support, um, helping folks in the beginning with hope and mm. education. I see many of uh, images of, of uh, Triumph Foundation peer support mentors in, you know, in rehab centers or in, even in uh, hospital settings, delivering a backpack of support and um, obviously some resources. What are, what are some of the, the challenges that you, you saw? What, what are some of the um, issues that you're trying to solve with the triumph. So I think in the beginning, you know, it's um, uh, it's very diff. It's really easy to kind of uh, put 
the blanket over your head and close your ears and just go, la, 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 this isn't happening. And uh, sometimes the therapists and the doctors and the nurses, uh, they're telling you the right things, um, but it's not seeping in just because they don't know. They don't, they don't understand. They don't know. Um, and I'm not going to be one of those guys, right? Uh, I'm not going to be one of those disabled people. And I think one of the ways that we uh, triumph is able to uh, help uh, is when we roll up into someone's hospital room, they realize that I'm just a regular guy like them that something bad happened to me too. And we bring in these care packs that are full of resources. And, and the way it got started was, um, you know, I had gotten injured. I said at Thanksgiving, which is near the end of November, I had spent my Christmas holiday in the hospital and it sucks to be in the hospital any time of the year, but specifically around the holidays. Mm. And so, uh, that was always near and dear to my heart. And so, uh, the first year after we started, we decided at Christmas, we're going to throw a little party for all the patients that are there in the hospital and bring them these care baskets that were full of goodies and treats and things that would lift their spirits. And also a ton of information and resources that I wish someone would have told me about, uh, these therapists, um, you know, they kind of know a little bit about the equipment that you need, but oftentimes they're just giving you cookie cutter things and that's what everybody gets because that's what they know. And so giving people the power of knowing their options, I think is uh, so valuable. And so inside the care packs will include an equipment catalog. And so when you're ordering your wheelchair or your cushion, or you're looking for that cup holder or what have you, you can look inside a catalog and say, I want model XYZ. This is what's going to work out best for me. And also, um, you know, magazines and different, you know, resources and things that uh, just kind of show you what's possible after, you know, you get hurt. Um, that shows you people out, like you said, skiing or skydiving or uh, playing wheelchair sports or doing activities. And, and uh, you know, as much as, you know, the, you can look up things online, I'm kind of old school. I feel like having a magazine, having some you know, literature that you can feel in touch is just so much value in that. And then uh, over time, we've uh, accumulated a resource guidebook. It started off with a one sheet of just local resources. This is who you call for paratransit. This is who you call for, you know, um, information about government assistance and benefits. This is, you know, where you go and, and where you turn. And, and that is uh, with the collection of everyone's knowledge of just, meeting, you know, you, Mike, and learning about what you've know, what you've learned the hard way and meeting Susie over here and, you know, um, Steve over there and, and everybody's just uh, all this knowledge that we've all, you know, um, we put it all together into a resource guidebook. And it's about 100 pages of 20 chapters that covers everything from, like I said, government assistance to the hospitals that have the best rehab uh, to a list of grants that are out there to how to get your home modified, how to hire a caregiver and on and on and on it goes. Um, and wow. it's just, um, you know, my joke is if information is your drug, then I am your dealer and we've got answers for you. <laughs> and I may not have all the perfect answers, but I can give you your options. And sometimes that's the best thing is just knowing that you have choices and not necessarily everything that the doctors uh, say or recommend. They're not infallible. Uh, they're just doing the best they can. And no one cares as much about you as you do. And so just giving people that, that knowledge base uh, that they can, you know, take home, share with their family, because the family is often the ones with the most questions. I mean, the person that gets hurt, they're just trying to get through the moment. Um, the family's thinking about tomorrow and what's coming next. And so, you know, helping them through all of this as well. And then uh, our programs have evolved to from, you know, one hospital and people learning about what we were doing turned into two, three, four. Now we're going to around 20 hospitals all over Southern California. We meet people where they're at and uh, just delivering those care packs full of resources. We have around 80 ambassadors that are like trained peer mentors that, you know, can go in there and, and just, uh, give people, like I said, that hope, share some, um, you know, information uh, that'll help them rebuild their life and um, be there for them throughout the long haul. Because out here in the States, you know, rehab stays are, you know, we're talking 
two, three weeks, a month, maybe a little bit more, but people are getting discharged before they've really gotten their mind wrapped around what has happened mm. to them. And so just planting that seed that, uh, that there is, uh, that they are not alone. Uh, they are not reinventing the wheel and they have someone to call. Uh, you know, they can't take that nurse call light button home with them, uh, but they can call me and they can call one of our Triumph ambassadors, the Triumph family and ask questions and, and get some answers from people that have lived through it and that really do care and um, just help them along the ways. And so we, we also have a grant program and we do lots of sports as well, just getting people to live life. Man. Wow. You got 80 peer ambassadors. That is, that's huge number. Far out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's fantastic. A lot of folks like yourself and I, um, kind of feel like, Hey, this happened for a reason. There's gotta be a bigger purpose to this than, than me just learning how to deal with it. Right. And a lot of people want to help other people in similar situations. And so, uh, you know, we've got a network of thousands of people that we've met over the years. I think we've given out over 2000 care backs now and the number is growing every day. I mean, sad part is Mike, you and I both know that, so there's someone out there probably right now that's finding themselves, you know, rushed into the hospital and being diagnosed with a spinal cord injury and they're going to need our help. And so people want to be on those front lines of helping folks. And so we've kind of cultivated a good group of people that we've recognized as, as having the heart um, and having the willingness to do it and to go out of their way um, to not only uh, be there to support somebody, but also understand uh, the way the what to say and what not to say, you know, that uh, when yeah. you go into a hospital, sometimes it's not about you uh, when you're acting as a peer mentor, it's, it's really being a listener and, you know, wanting to hear about them. And um, yeah. it's not about me always. So uh, yeah, we've, we've developed quite an army. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. Uh, tell us a little bit about the challenges of running a non a nonprofit a charity. What what are some of the challenges you you found with that, and and how do, how have you overcome them, or how you you know where do you need help? So I think number one, uh, you know, the big myth is that there's just this uh, funding you know waterfall is just going to come you know splashing all over, and all you got to do is become a nonprofit, and you're just going to open these floodgates. Uh, the sad part is uh, that's probably the hardest part of the whole deal is where does the money come from? Um, but ultimately, if you are mission focused and you are doing this because you legitimately see something that is needed in the community and you're laser focused, the money will come. That's, that's not really what matters. And so, you know, Triumph existed for many years. I never, you know, um, I was working um, you know, full-time as well. And so this wasn't a job for me. This was something I did on the side. And ultimately uh, it took us a number of years and I started it, um, you know, with my family and, and some friends. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the buck stopped here with me. And so I think, you know, a lot of nonprofits fail sometimes, Mike, um, when uh, there's too many people that, that are pointing the finger at the other person and no one's taking ownership and being like, this is me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this happen. And so just being, you know, uh, driven and, um, uh, you know, I filled out all the paperwork. I did it myself. Um, which is, so you don't need to have some big attorney. A lot of people are overwhelmed with, you know, the fear factor of, well, I got to fill out paperwork and I don't even know where to start and da, 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 da. keep it simple. You know, I got a book from Barnes and Noble from the you know local um, bookstore and um, read up on how to do this thing and and just went for it, man. Um, and I started off on the back of my credit card. Uh, all everything that you know Triumph did was coming out of my personal account, but I was doing it because I knew that there was people that needed our help. And uh, you know, ultimately, around four years after we started. Um, you know, I was able to get a grant. A lot of people think that there's grant money out there. That's just automatic. Uh, it takes you a few years to build up some credibility where they know you're not uh, flashing the pan here today and gone tomorrow type of nonprofits. Cause there's a lot of those out there. 
And so it took us a few years to get um, the recognition where we were able to get some grants. And um, I was really fortunate. I connected with the family that, you know, had a family foundation that gave out some money and they, and they gave us a check that had a few zeros behind it. It wasn't a whole lot, um, but it was enough to um, inspire me that uh, I could make this happen. And so I quit my job and I went all in for Triumph and it's become my life's work. Um, I don't have a, a rich uncle, a daddy Warbucks. Um, I don't have a settlement or something like that. I'm just a regular dude that uh, just trying to make it happen. And I think people are attracted to that. Uh, they see that this is really grassroots, um, that we are uh, really putting the work in. Um, we're not just a sponge. There's really, you know, a community benefit and uh, we run lean. I mean, I um uh, just up until last year, I was the only full-time employee for Triumph Foundation. And I, you know, only paid myself a uh, meager salary. And uh, last year we took the plunge and hired another full-time person. And uh, that's really exciting to have somebody else's help. But I have wonderful volunteer base and um, wonderful ambassadors. And they're the real heroes of the organization. But like I said, just being really mission focused. What do you do? What's the, what the, they're there, right. Mm. Um, and an yeah. effective storyteller because ultimately that's how nonprofits raise money is by storytelling. Well, from what I see, you guys tell stories really well. And I mean, what I saw uh, at the expo with your community, you know, you, they were, you were essentially a rock star and that speaks volumes for the work you do. How can people support um, the work the Triumph Foundation does or how can people get involved if they want to? So, I mean, go to our website, supporttriumph.org. Um, you can check us out. Uh, there's, you know, lots of links on how you can join us, how to get involved. Um, follow us on social media. It's Triumph over SCI. And that's our handles for Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, but people can follow along and, and see what we're doing. Keep us in your hearts and prayers. And then certainly if there's people out there that um, have a heart uh, to do something like this, um, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants. I was really fortunate that people um, were there to help me along the way. And so I'd like to put myself out there to help others. Um, you know, I don't have necessarily the secret sauce or anything like that other than, you know, I've just been driven to help. And, you know, we need you and other people to, you know, support us. Uh, like I said, number one, by just knowing that we exist is a huge win. Um, I don't have a publicist, so we're not on the Ellen show or whatever, you know, making the big TV rounds yet. Knock on wood. Um, <laughs> we're here in L.A. I don't know why we you know, haven't gotten that yet, but I mean, well, uh, they're going to be Adaptify. listening to the Adaptify. They're going to be listening to the Adaptify no. podcast. So you, you wait. Your phone's going to be ringing. You're going to be inundated with offers, mate. Once this goes live, <laughs> that's right. No, I, I agree, man. And Mike, you're putting me on the map, and I'm just incredibly grateful for that. And uh, you know, like I said, it's it's not about me. Um, it's about the community. It's about helping other people. Um, you know, I know you're uh, from New Zealand, but I always say it's the American way. You know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do to help, you know, your country is another way to say, ask not what your neighbors can do for you, but what you can do for your neighbors, for the people next to you. And, uh, you know, I just care about folks. And uh, that's one thing that this injury taught me to kind of bring it full circle is what really matters in life to me is relationships. Uh, those are the real treasures. And so I collect friends um, and I just, love people and want to try to help them. And if people want to follow along, um, I'd love to have you guys join our triumph family. Uh, we don't discriminate. These injuries don't discriminate. It can happen to anybody, um, from any walk of life. It doesn't matter your economic class, your gender, your sex, whatever, you, you know, uh, uh, wherever you're from, you're, you can be part of this and, um, you don't even have to have an injury. You just have to care. And so, I hope people will follow us along. Another shout out to Adaptify, Mike. I'm 
I'm really impressed with everything that you've done and I'm honored to be on the roster of people that you've interviewed, man. Uh, you got some incredible stories that you've been able to put out there. And so thank you for that. Uh, likewise, you beat me to it, mate. Thank you so much for joining me today and for the work you do and for the heart and soul you bring to this community. Uh, man, I'm full of admiration for you and your entire um, community that you've built over there and um, this will have brought uh, incredible value to our listeners out there um, mate if uh, you ever find yourself uh, down in New Zealand or you want to come for a vacation we will um, gladly host you I say that to everyone that um, is on the show and I mean it wholeheartedly so um, be sure to um, come and stay with us if you find yourself down here um, and I will um, I look forward to meeting again um, when I'm next stateside. Take care out there, everybody. We're in a bit of a crazy time right now, and your point about relationships and taking care of each other is um, more than ever important. So, um, yeah, stay safe. And, Andrew, thanks so much for joining me once again. Um, I, I so very much look forward to the next time we get to meet. Cheers, mate. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.